Hello and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Well, hello, Bree James back with you. Welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast. Now, on today's episode, I chat to internationally recognized professor of neuroscience, Mark Williams about the important topic, are smartphones making us dumb? Yes, we use them every day to communicate with friends and families. We check the weather, catch up on social media, and even turn on appliances in our home using them. But how smart is too smart when it comes to these devices? Are we becoming too reliant on our smartphones in our everyday life? That the thought of living without them is a non-negotiable. Many people are more fearful of losing their phone than they are of their own child, which is a little bit disturbing. So let's get Mark Williams on Zoom to help us understand how our brains react to such smart devices and the impacts it is having upon us and how we connect to the world around us. Let's get him on Zoom. It's time to get to class. So Mark, Let's dive deep on this topic. Let's start with the first question I have for you, which is why are smartphones harmful, especially for not only us as adults, but I guess more so this podcast is about children uh, and them having smartphones because a lot of us have fallen and succumbed to uh, giving our child a phone. Yeah, great question, Bree. Um, it's not really this phone itself. I, I, I'm, I, I love my phone and I use my phone for a lot of different things. It's more the fact that we have apps on phones and the apps send us notifications. So it's really the notifications and the fact that technology companies don't sell us those apps. They make money from our attention. So what they want is they want us on the phone so they can sell our attention um, as much as they possibly can. To do that, they use some really nice tricks to get our attention, to get us to come back to the phone as much as they can so that they can sell more advertising because that's what they're really all about and that's how they make their money, that's how they make their profits. So they use things like intermittent reinforcement, which is a, a, a method used by gambling companies such as casinos um, and uh, different yeah, forms of gambling, but also by psychologists as well for many, many years. Um, and it's a way of queuing us so that we get optimal uh, reward for that queue, um, but not too much so that we actually get sick of getting those queues. So we know Facebook have admitted that they use things like intermittent reinforcement when they send you the likes. Um, they don't send you a like when you actually get the like. They wait until it's optimal so that you'll get most addicted to actually getting the like. And they use other methods, similar methods as well um, with the other um, apps. So that's a real issue is that we have notifications coming through on phones which cure our attention and that affects our attentional network. And that means that kids now who get phones or who are using phones are more likely to have ADD or attention deficit disorder or have symptoms associated with attention deficit disorder because their attention network is actually affected. Now, our attention network doesn't actually get fully developed, our frontal areas of our brain, which control our attention, until we're 25 years of age, plus or minus two years. So anyone who gets a phone before they're 25 years of age and has notifications on that phone is going to be negatively affected in the development of those frontal lobe regions and therefore in their attentional network and therefore their ability to actually sustain their attention. But even in adults, it affects us because um, we know that our brain 
um, is similar to a muscle. You either use these functions or you lose them. So it's actually training us to attend to our phones rather than to the real world. Um, and that's again affecting us as well because of neuroplasticity, the brain is constantly changing. And so our, our brains are also changing, which is why we all have, well, a lot of us have trouble actually concentrating these days because of the fact that we're constantly being directed to our phones. Yeah, I like to call it like the generation of inattention um, because we are really struggling. I know personally, like I've got a million things on the go all the time. And, um, you know, I know I listened to uh, a, a webinar that you were doing the other week. How long does it take you to get your focus back after you've had, um, you know, it, you said something that really triggered me, which was, you know, having your phone beside you, which I do. Uh, what percentage of your brain still focused on that phone sitting there? Yeah, so we know that at least 10%, and that's that's in an adult. So if your phone is, a lot of this research has been done in cars because, you know, we're really worried about car accidents associated with people answering their phone or attending to their phone. So if you have your phone turned off and in your glove box, then 10% of your attention is still on your phone. And we think the 10% of attention is around about one standard drink. So it's equivalent to having one standard drink. Now that's if it's turned off and put in your glove box. If it's beside you, then it's far worse. And if it actually dings or bings or does any of those buzzes, 100% of your attention goes onto your phone. And because of we're slower now to, to drag our attention away from our phone, that, take, that takes about 90 seconds for you to actually attend to your phone and then come back to what you're actually doing on the road. So that's 90 seconds that you're not attending to the road at all when you're driving or if you're you know, trying to talk to someone or if you're trying to write a piece or if you're trying to you know, do some work or whatever you lose all of your attention for 90 seconds so that's 90 seconds you lose basically um, and that's if you don't answer your phone if you answer your phone then it's 100 percent of your attention is gone for the whole time which is a lot of time we're wasting and that's a that's a really scary statistic and i guess um you know evidence as to why we're having so many road more road uh tolls and accidents and things like that yeah, well, it's pretty scary because we're now putting um, lights in pavements in a lot of major cities. Melbourne's done it, Sydney's done it, um, a lot of the Asian countries are doing it. Um, so that we're putting traffic lights um, on the pavement because people aren't actually looking up from their phones. And there's so many people are getting run over because they're looking at their phones while they're crossing the road. They're not even looking up to see if there's any traffic or if the lights are gone red. Um, we're now having to put lights in the pavement. That's how good this is at attracting our attention that we're willing to put our lives on the line to actually you know answer that text or look at that phone it's it's actually really disturbing and i think you know it's hilarious to me that you know we're worried about so many other things that you know we can't control but this is one thing that you know is your own personal preference and i guess it's so hard to have that self-control to go you know what this is my phone time. The rest of the time, it's going to be a dumb phone and it's just, you know, literally for someone to call me, but, you know, I, I don't use it for internet for the rest of the time. Um, but, you know, I think that's hard for an adult to do, let alone a child that, you know, if you sat a bar of, you know, a bunch of um, M&Ms there, they'd eat the whole lot if you let them. So, and they don't have that ability, I guess, to have self-control as much as adults do. And there's plenty of adults that have no self-control either. But do smartphones, I guess is my primary question here, do smartphones affect children more than they do adults? Yeah, because um, a child's brain's still developing, it's going to have much greater effect on their brain development because they're not actually learning these really important abilities that they need. And there's so many abilities that they're missing out on 
and they're not developing, which means that they won't ever have them. Um, some of the really simple ones are uh, a map reading or, or finding your way around. So we know that if you use the Wayfinder apps on your phone, um, you're poorer at actually getting around and finding your way back. So if your phone goes dead, then you won't be able to find your way back home. But also um, the area of our brain, which is associated with where we are in space, so where we've gone during the day, is area called the parapocampal place area, but it's right next to another area which is involved in our episodic memory. So that's who we are, what we've done during the day and all the experiences we've had. And you actually remember all the experiences you had and what you did and your loved ones and all those things um, based on where you've been. But if you don't remember where you've been, then you don't actually remember what you did or who you did it with. So people are actually having much poorer um, recollection of the things they did during the day and therefore who they are as a person because they're using the Wayfinder apps to get around. And again, that's going to be much more significant in children than it is in adults. We've also shown that um, if a child or, or a teenager or a high school student has their phone and actually turned off and beside them when they're doing any sort of work, um, both their uh, Working memory, which is your ability to think and, and to uh, negotiate and to calculate and do all those things, that is significantly affected if their phone is just beside them and turned off. And their fluid intelligence, their, their level of intelligence at that time is also significantly affected if their phone is beside them rather than in another room, which is also really scary that their intelligence is actually affected. But then another a crucial one, which is you know, one of my main areas of research, is our ability to um, communicate is being affected. So we know that children um, whose carers use mobile phones regularly, they don't have as good facial expression perception as kids who don't. So if, if their parents are, are on a phone or have a phone, they don't learn what the different facial expressions mean. And of course, understanding facial expressions is vital for us as humans because we are social animals. And so not understanding what a person's thinking based on their facial expressions is, is really detrimental to uh, their well-being and their ability to actually be successful in school and to successfully have friends and then you know become a manager or whatever. All of those things really badly impacted by the fact that they can't actually recognize facial expressions just because their carer their, their parent has a phone but then also if they have a phone their ability to recognize facial expressions is significantly affected as well so both sides of it are affected um, which is you know really concerning i think um, because number one um issue in society seems to be at the moment is you know resilience and empathy for others and i think a lot of that's been stemmed by the fact that a lot of people on devices these days and never learn how to be empathetic or resilient because they can't read facial expressions they're unable to understand what people are thinking that's you know really interesting because i know um you even said when I listened to you last time in regards to students they learn better from face-to-face -face teaching than they do online teaching and it's because of that understanding facial expression, um, you know, and having that energy exchange between people. Can you explain that a little bit more as well? Yeah, so there's lots of research now on this showing that because, um, well, there's several aspects to it. One is that you need to be connected to the person who you're actually learning from. So we don't actually learn from people who are not connected 
with. And so you need a really good connection with your teacher. And I'm sure all the listeners can remember teachers that they actually got along well with or that they actually liked, and they would have learned a lot from that person, and they probably did better in that subject than they had before. And then they could remember you know, teachers who they didn't get along with and they didn't learn anything because they weren't really interested in the subject because they didn't have that relationship with the teacher. Um, and this is an evolutionary um, aspect of our brain. And we do only learn from people who we who are part of our in-group, people who we're connected with. But to become connected with someone, you've got to actually be face-to-face -face with them. You've got to have all those special um, neurotransmitters that are released when you're actually face-to-face -face with someone. And we don't get those when we're actually online. So um, there's touch involved. So just being close to someone, you can smell hormones and so on, and that releases these neurotransmitters that makes you more likely to connect to someone. Touching someone, so greeting someone, we shake hands and do those things. That actually releases really important neurotransmitters that makes us more connected to the person. Um, being face-to-face, -face, you get all the facial expressions and you actually get to look at the person. Um, and um, we don't get those online. So we are now, because there's only the two of us, so one's looking at the other and the other's looking at the other. But if you're actually on a group, group or a class, then you've got multiple faces that are all looking at everybody. Nobody's actually looking at anybody, really. Um, and so you never know where those faces are. And we get all this important information from um, being face-to-face -face in real world based on where people are looking. So if you're in a group, or if you're a teacher, you would look at a particular student and they would then answer your question. Or you'd look at a student who's misbehaving and they'd stop misbehaving, for example. You can't get all of that when you're online because you don't have that information. But also, just being on a screen, kids don't learn as well. So we know that if you give a student um, a piece of paper with whatever it is you want them to learn versus give them the same information on a screen, they don't learn as well when it's on the screen as opposed to on a piece of paper. So they don't even learn just, just from reading as well. So it's not even the teaching aspect. It's also just the reading you don't learn as well when you're on a piece of paper versus on a screen. Um, Which I find really intriguing because obviously many schools are moving to having every child has a device and they're learning online. Do you think eventually we're going to flip back where people are going back to a more paper method because it is helping ch children learn and retain information better? Yeah, a lot, a lot of countries are. We are, yeah, we, we are number one in the world. Australia is number one in the world for devices in schools. Um, we're number one in the world for a number of hours on devices in schools. Um, and we're middle of the road, if not below the middle of the road when it comes to science and maths and literature. Um, a lot, several countries who are in the top 10 for science, maths and literature um, actually started using devices and saw that they were actually slipping on those things and so they actually took the devices out of the schools because of the fact that they saw themselves um, slipping. Um, the, the head of the um, um, international schooling body who actually looks at all the research and everything, he's actually said that screens and devices do more harm than good in schools today based on all the research they have um, from around the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I have no doubt that we'll, we will go back to Nome. Um, hopefully, Australia won't slip down to the bottom before we do that. For some reason, we are still powering ahead with all these devices. But there is no evidence that there's an improvement in learning when you're on a screen compared to on paper. And there's a huge amount of research showing that you actually learn better on paper and with explicit teaching than you do on a screen. Um, which is just crazy. And all of the apps and 
learning um, programs that are out there, none of them have been shown via peer-reviewed independent research to actually improve learning. It's extraordinary, really, because I, I actually, obviously, uh, PacMag is, you know, a digital platform, but we're mostly a print magazine in North Queensland. <laughs> and I have this debate with people often because 40% of us are kinesthetic touch and feel learners. And, you know, I think, you know, there is such a misconception that digital is better. Um, what do you think on that? Absolutely not. So we know kids who learn um, to read on paper have significantly more white tracks in their brain than kids who learn how to read on screens. So the white tracks are really important for connecting different areas of the brain. And there's a huge study now going on in the US because there were several large studies which found this and now they're really concerned in the US. So there's a multi-million dollar study going on over there looking at this because they're so concerned about it. But yeah, if you learn um, to read on paper, you have significantly more white tracks in your brain than if you learn on um, screen. We also know that you remember significantly more if you read it on paper than if you read it on a screen. Um, there's a great study here in Australia recently showing that kids that learned how to write with pen and paper had better um, uh, reading skills than kids who learned how to type rather than learned how to write on paper. So the kids who are learning how to type on screen, um, they don't end up with as good reading ability as those who are writing on paper. Um, and also just writing. We know that, you know, if you write on paper, you remember things better than if you type those same things on, on a screen. So we, we set up, I mean, we've evolved for hundreds and hundreds of millions of years to be in the real world and to write. And do. We, we can't turn that around in 20 years. Um, and so our brains are really set up for the real world and for, for doing things in the real world. Um, and, and now we're on screens, it, it is impacting on our learning and our memory and our socialization and anxiety levels and stress. Um, there's umpteen studies now coming out showing just the more time you're on a screen, the more likely you are to have depression, anxiety and suicidal tendencies. Um, and that, that increases, that's, starts to become significant after about three to four hours on a screen. So, you know, I have no doubt that in some time in the future, there will be class action against schools um, because of the damage that it's doing. I, um, yeah, I've obviously interviewed and read a lot of things over the years, and it's so nice to find someone that, you know, is so passionate about this uh, because it's a, it's a huge concern to me. Like I pick up my son from school, he doesn't, from high school, he doesn't have a phone, but the kids aren't allowed the phones during school time or, you know, but once they leave school, they're allowed to use their phone. And literally there is not a single kid talking to another kid half the time. They are mm. all just looking down, their necks are all poorly postured um, and they're looking at their phone and not connecting with each other. And I think, um, you know, you even see the restaurants now, people not connecting with each other. Um, you know, husbands and wives out having a date night and they're on their damn phones. Um, it is an addictive thing. Do you think in the future we're going to be having um, adding this to the list of addictions that people are going to have to overcome, like narcotics and alcohol and all of those other things in the future? Um, so gaming addiction already is listed. So mm. gaming addiction is World Health Organization, also in the DSM, and it's treated exactly the same as gambling addiction or alcohol addiction or drug addiction. So they're treated the same. Um, we now know that, um, well, in the US, some of my colleagues have shown that in the US, 90% of um, 
college students have what we call phantom buzz syndrome. So their leg buzzes, even though their phone's not in their pocket, um, which is a physical addiction to the phone, um, which is a concern. There are a lot of organisations. I, I have several colleagues who are psychologists and their practices are now 100% you know, phone addiction, um, online addiction, um, because of the difficulties with this. Uh, so, yeah, I have no doubt that the phone addiction is going to... And over 60% of adults even say that they're addicted to their phones and can't go without them, um, which is really, really concerning, I think. Um, and, and it's affecting productivity. It's affecting um, well-being. Um, it's affecting mental health. So it is a big issue that we need to think about. I mean, it's hard at the moment because we've got COVID and so everyone has to have their phone on them, they check into places and all the rest of it. But there are simple ways that you can actually change your phones so that it's not addictive, just by turning off your, all your tech, all your uh, notifications. You know, if it's not buzzing, um, then it's not going to cause a problem. I, I tell all my loved ones if they need to contact me, they should ring me um, and I'll answer the phone and I'll talk to them because it's the best way to actually communicate with someone because you can actually hear the prosody of their their uh, voice and so on. You can tell if they're upset or if they're happy or whatever just based on that information. Um, and if they text me, I probably won't answer it because I only check my test texts every four hours. Um, and I just do that regularly to make sure, you know, keep up with business things and all that sort of stuff. But, um, and, and all my other notifications are all turned off. You can do it and, and it makes your phone much healthier. And then you can use it for good rather than evil. Yeah, I love it. Um, so, you know, just look into your phone settings. That's how you sort of set it up. You know, you can turn all the notifications off for Facebook and Messenger and all of those things. You just need to commit to it. You can even set timeframes. Uh, I know I've set up timeframes that I can look at Facebook on my phone um, and I'm only allowed on it for 30 minutes. Uh, and it sends me a little notification to say I've been on there for 30 minutes because I do use it for business. So um, I think it is about setting parameters and because it's so easy to get lost in that world. And, you know, next thing, you know, a five minute, I just want to see what's going on and get my little dopamine hit. Um, next thing it, you know, turns into you're watching a cat video and you think, where's my life gone? What, what am I doing with myself? <laughs> yeah. And, and again, as you said before, a lot of even couples will answer their phone. There's something like 10% of couples will answer their phone when they're having sex. I mean, it's crazy, right? <laughs> it's really, really crazy that we're that addicted to our phones. Um, so, yeah, we really need to have a think. Yes, if it's def definitely interrupting that sort of time, then you have a problem. Yeah, do something good. about it. You need to go and do one of those detox clinics, that's for sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, so... With what we've discussed, obviously our smartphones are causing permanent damage. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the, the permanency we don't know yet because it just hasn't been long enough. We haven't got long enough to know whether or not these issues can be, um, you know, turned around. And it looks as though they could be turned around. So there was a great study with, I think it was year eight students here in Australia um, where they took the students out on a camp um, and they were looking at their facial expression ability, so their ability to empathise. They took them out on the camp. On the camp, they had no access to any devices and there was a significant improvement in their ability to um, recognise facial expressions and therefore empathise with people. So it looks as though we can actually turn this around. It looks as though if we do turn off these things and, you know, stop using them the way we're using them, um, our brains can reform because we know our brains are plastic the problem is if you don't do that it's going to be detrimental so while you're using your phone or while you're you know 
having a phone that still has notifications and so on, you are affecting your brain negatively. How much of that our brains can actually cope with and still bounce back, we don't know yet. So. Yeah, it's a bit scary because I know people even sleep with their phones beside their bed. You know, they've got the um, smart watches that, you know, give them notifications during the evening. Uh, so a lot of people are getting broken sleep, I guess, too. And like you were saying, we don't know the long-term effects of, of phone use, let alone the, you know, the EMFs through Wi-Fi and all of that uh, technology um, and all of that, I guess, all those EMF rays, I guess, because um, I have had another podcast guest on, the, on before. And I can't remember her name, but she sort of said, you know, it could be the asbestos of the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. The EMF, I'm not an expert in that area, so I try not to talk on it people often ask me about it but yeah it's not an area I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an expert on but it's interesting you were saying about the smart watches because i was at just before COVID, just before the first lockdown of COVID, i was up in queensland at a big principals conference and i was presenting at the conference on a lot of these issues um and there was well over 100 principals there but one of the principals came to me straight after my presentation and said that he has a smart watch um, and when he takes the office smart watch at night he actually gets phantom buzzes on his wrist at night and it keeps him awake at night. So he can't actually sleep even though he doesn't have the watch on him. Um, and that was just before all the lockdown. So he was getting lots of notifications around COVID and you know, cases starting up and schools closing and so on. Um, and he said, yeah, he has awful trouble waking up at night because he gets buzzes on his wrist even though he doesn't have his smartwatch on at the time. So it even affects us when we're not there. And, and things like that, we know that um, with the phantom buzz, there was a researcher in Arizona took a big group of college students out to the desert and it took them four days before they stopped getting the phantom buzz syndrome. So it, 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 you can get rid of it, but you've just got to go detox for quite a while. I mean, same as drugs, right? You've got to go detox for quite a significant amount of time before it actually stops and you can get back to normal. It's frightening. Um, four days of detox from phone use. <laughs> Incredible. So yeah. <laughs> let's try Let's try and look at the positive then. You know, don't smartphones increase our access to the world and our ability to connect as well? Yeah, so that's one of the big ones that I get a lot, um, especially in schools. Like the schools, the teachers will say, but hang on, you know, the students now have access to all this information and it's really, really important for their learning and so on. But in actual fact, it's not true. So we now know um, through a lot of research that because of the algorithms that run in the background, so Google runs algorithms in the background constantly. So you don't have access to the world. You have access to what Google wants to show you that it thinks you will actually be interested in and you'll stay looking at. And so the first, when, whenever you do a Google search, for example, the first four or five things are all ads that are actually paid to be there. They're not actually the number one things for your search. And then what comes up next is based on what your previous searches were um, and what you've talked about on the phone and what you've done on the phone and what, you, you know, all the other things you've done on Facebook and all the other things you do online. Um, and so it's biased towards that. And so we know that today people have access to far less information than we did before we had the internet because of the algorithms that run in the background. And people are much more isolated today in their knowledge than they ever were before. Because in the past, a student would go into the library and look through an encyclopedia or look through a book that they're interested in or look it up on, you know, those old Dewey system and so on. 
and they would just get what was actually relevant to what they're actually looking for. Now they're not, they're actually being pushed in one direction based on the algorithms that they're actually receiving. So we're not, we're actually less, we have access to way less information these days. The other thing um, in relation to um, being social, we're actually less social today because of things like Facebook. So Facebook aren't social apps. They're actually apps which tell you about other people. So the informa it's information about what other people are doing. You're not actually socialising when you're on, say, Facebook. What you're doing is you're looking at what other people are doing in a social context. They're a great way to actually set up a social event, but it's actually setting up the social event that you're doing on Facebook, if you're doing it that way. And you can set up a social event, but the social part of it is actually going out and doing the social event with people, not actually being on Facebook. Because being on Facebook, as I said, 99% of what people do on Facebook is look at what other people are doing, not actually socialise themselves. Yeah, and then feel bad that your life's not as good as that Facebook profile that you've been following. Oh, yeah. I mean, FOMO, things like FOMO, sorry, fear of missing out um, is huge. I, I Many years I've been researching um, anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa, which is an awful, awful disorder. Um, and, and it's getting worse because of these issues that what they're seeing um, isn't real life, right? And isn't actually um, what these people look like all the time. It's been, you know, masked and <laughs> edited and all the things that they do on those pages to make them look better than they actually are. Um, yeah, you know, I've seen the thing that maybe everybody should put like 48 hours of their life up rather than actually just snapshots of it because we get a very different view of the world and we would, right? None of us take photos of ourselves and then put the worst one up. We always put the best one up. Um, so it's pretty scary. I mean, that whole area is pretty scary. And then, of course, you have pornography as well, which I probably shouldn't talk about on this. Um, but that is also a huge, huge issue. 100%. And I think we should get you back on the show at another time to talk about other other things. I can see you and I diving deep on many topics. Yeah, um, there are dozens. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you'll be back. I know it for sure. Um, because there are so many things, I guess, to worry about as a parent. So, you know, and one of the things that I know is, you know, maybe this is a control thing and it sounds horrible, but, you know, for me, I know that my children, if they, the internet is such a big, wide universe, um, that you have no control over what they see and what they are, I guess, subjected to. Whereas as a parent, you know, when they're with me, I can go, you know, what, well, we're not going to go to that park because you may see something that's not good. Or, you know, we may, we'll go and do this experience because you're going to learn from that. You know, I guess that's where I know that I can't, I guess, hide my children from that 21st century world, which is online. However, you know, I like to think of it like a, a good diet. Um, you know, we don't just feed them candy all the time. Um, mm. It's about, you know, that good good technology um, as, and I guess as limited as possible because how do we teach our children, I guess, how to have that self-control so that, you know, if you do let them go on the device um, to play a game for half an hour with their friends, I know if you don't go in there in that half an hour, they're still going to be on there. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I, I often have debates uh, with people who, who, who talk about, um, this whole idea or, you know, their business is all, you know, it, everybody should be learning how to, how to live online because that's the new norm and so therefore kids shouldn't be restricted and we should be teaching them how to. But we don't allow kids into pubs. 
until they're over 18 because we know they're not socially responsible yet and also they're not it's not good for their brains to go to a pub and drink alcohol and also we know stuff that goes on there but then we're more than happy to have a 10 year old on the internet where we know there are extremists there who are going to do awful things there are pedophiles there that set up counts to actually get in touch and to 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 do awful things online we know there's pornography which is extreme extreme pornography that we've never seen before that's that's now online that they can have access to and you know i could go on and on and on all the dangers that are actually online that these kids are, are could be affected by and yet we turn around and go no that's okay because they need how to learn how to do that mm-hmm. but it's not okay for them to go to a pub down the road which is probably which would be much safer <laughs> Absolutely. Internet, yeah, that we're allowing them to take into their bedroom and shut the door and get on. Um, so I don't really buy the whole thing that you've got to be online to to, to do that. The, the New South Wales Police Force do a great um, program with schools where they teach, you know, online security and how to what to do and what not to do and so on. And they do it without a device in the room. They do it by explaining to the kids what's on there and what's not on there and so on. So, we, you know, kids don't need to be online to learn how to be online properly. They need, they need good values. They need good ethics. They need good moral responsibility. Those things will tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing online. And then, of course, you need them to be aware that people will fake their, um, their identities and so on online. So you need to be careful because you never know who people are online. It could be completely, you know, anybody. Um, but yeah, you don't, I don't, I don't think you need to be online to learn those things. Um, and I think that whole idea of we need to have kids online so that they can learn for the future, I think it isn't really true um, if we really thought about it. And we would start making more restrictions. I mean, China has now restricted, it's now illegal for kids to be gaming for more than, I think it's an hour a week. Um, if they're under 16 years of age. And that has been purely because of the health risks, because China, of course, is a communist country, so therefore its health um, is, you know, paid by the government and they've seen a huge increase in uh, issues around devices and gaming, and so therefore they've just made it illegal for kids under 16 because it's costing the government too much money um, from a mental health perspective um, wow so i i have no doubt something like that will happen here soon hopefully yes <laughs> um but you know who knows i mean we did it with cigarettes we did it with alcohol and we did it with driving um you know all those things where anyone could do it until we realized what a, a awful impact it was having on our health um and then we started regulating it and i think we need to start regulating um use online yeah I agree um, wholeheartedly because um, I'm one of those mums. My children don't have phones yet, but I guess one of the things for me is I get the, but mum, all of the other kids have one. Um, how do we, because um, I guess it's our responsibility to raise our ch- children the best we can. Um, and it's so easy to fall into the trap of the, well, I've just got to let do what everyone else is doing, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but how, you know, what would be your advice to parents right now that are listening, that are going, I don't know what to do here. My heart's saying, I shouldn't, but my head's saying, oh, but, you know, I don't want them to be an outcast with all their, with their friends by not having them um, have access to be able to chat and do all those things um, at their whim. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a really difficult one. Um, my daughter's now 12. Um, she has 
a phone, um, a dumb phone, because after school she had a half an hour off and then she went to a dance class and she wanted to do it with her friends rather than us pick her up and then take her to the dance class. So for safety reasons, we gave her that. But then apart from that day that she does that, she doesn't have her phone on her. Um, she leaves it at home and then she has 15 minutes she usually goes into 30 minutes to be honest a day when she can get on it and text her friends and do those things so it's restricted to that the problem is having it on you all the time and having those beeps and so on and also having it when you're not around responsible adults right you don't want kids to have it when they're down the park and they can look at things that they shouldn't be looking at um, because that's when dangers happen um, and to be on um things that they shouldn't be on. I mean, things like um, TikTok and um, all of the, <laughs> the games and so on, they all have um, age limits, but very few parents realise they have age limits and very few parents actually monitor those age limits and stop their kids if they're actually not, because they all just tick the boxes, of course. So, you know, check the age limits and make sure your kids aren't using things that they shouldn't be using, but also make sure that they're using them where you can actually see what they're doing. And I don't mean sitting there and actually watching them, but they're less likely to start looking at the pornography, for example, if they're in the lounge room and, you know, people are walking around, for example, versus if they're in their bedroom and the door's shut or if they're down the park with a couple of friends. So just having them in a, in a common area where there's adults, I think, restricts a lot of those behaviours as well. But it is, it is difficult. It is a challenge. And I think, you know, all parents listening right now, I guess it's doing the best that you can with the knowledge that you have. But I am pretty confident that Mark's given you a lot more knowledge today to make you have a really strong um, debate with yourself, um, whether they actually need the phone, whether it's a need or a want, uh, because let's face it, we don't need to be connected to our children while they're at school. You can always ring the school and the school can always ring you if there's an issue. Um, you know, and I guess we all grew up quite happily uh, without having to have a phone. Just meant you had to turn up where your parents said at the right time. Mm. And I think, um, you know, that means that you're going to have a bit more um, commitment to being where you've got to be um, instead of, you know, um, turning up half an hour late or whatever else because you can just ring and say, oh, mum, I need more time. So who knows? I guess this is a, the challenge of being a 21st century parent. Uh, we're the first ones having to deal with these sorts of things. So um, I think we need to do our research and think about it but all I can say from my own perspective as a parent is it is very distracting um, for yourself and having your own self-control is a challenge so I guess why would you give something so addictive to your own child if you can't even control it yourself um, it's probably yeah. something that I've thought about a lot um, but you know yeah any parting words Mark? I, I monitoring yourself i think is, is really important it was interesting i i gave a public presentation at, at a big event for for parents and kids um there's about ten thousand people in the audience uh, i was really a great uh, event in in the city um and it was really funny because i did a q and a at the end of it and one of the there was a little girl who put up her hand and asked a question. It's such a cute little girl. I, she must have been, I don't know, eight or nine. Um, 
but she just got on the microphone and just completely thrashed her mum about her mum's use of her phone and how her mum yeah, is always grumpy when she's on the phone and she went and that yeah her mum was very embarrassed but I, I think it really highlighted to the mum um, that her behaviour isn't appropriate when she's on the phone and her behaviour um, she she needs to be careful of her behaviour because what she's teaching of course the kid is her child is that um, it's okay to do those things and I think we need to be really careful of that as well we need to demonstrate the way we want the child to use the phone by using it appropriately ourselves. Yes, our children learn more from what we do than what we say. They ignore what we say most of the time, but they will never ignore what we do. So Absolutely. I think um, monkey see, monkey do. We need to be um, really mindful and I guess uh, setting a good example, mums and dads. So, you know, no, no phones in the bedrooms, uh, no phones during dinner, um, having that connected dinner time. Um, there's a whole heap of studies around uh, families that sit down and have a meal together at least four times a week are more connected. Um, we could go on, honestly. Um, I think it's, you know, so important. We're looking, so many of us are looking for connection and we feel more disconnected than ever, ever. And I definitely believe it's our technology that's doing it. Mm, absolutely, great. Well, thank you so much, Mark, uh, for being on the show today. I'm sure that you'll be back. Is there anywhere uh, people can go to find out more about you? Uh, yeah, just uh, drmarkwilliams.com. Um, if you go there, there's lots of stuff on smartphones. You can uh, click on the thing and it'll, you can get a download on smartphones and join the newsletter if you like. I send out a newsletter about once a month um, on uh, connection and being connected with the kids, being connected with each other. So I think it's really important, especially these days, to make sure we keep that connection um, and work towards a, a nicer, brighter, happier future. Love it. Thank you so much for your incredible insights today. Um, go and check out that website and let's uh, try and start a revolution from uh, our smartphones making us dumb to uh, we're more connected than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Brett. It's a wrap. What did we learn on today's show? We learn a lot. A little bit confronting, but uh, one of the things we learn is that our brains are constantly changing and adapting because this is called neuroplasticity, which is where connections we use constantly become strong and in reverse, those that we haven't been uh, become weaker. So this is the process of how we forget things. Although our smartphones can do everything, and this can be a really great benefit for our day-to-day -day tasks, this also means that we are no longer using skills that we have acquired. Now, like Mark's example, when was the last time that you navigated to a new location without using your smartphone or calculated something in your head? The more you don't use a connection, you lose it. Now, although social media is booming in today's society, we as humans are actually becoming less social. It's time to put down your phone and connect with those around you. Uh, we are social animals and strive for social interaction. So again, if we don't use this brain connection, we lose it and having poor social skills can have a really detrimental effect on you. Another thing that we learned today was the effect of devices like smartphones on our attention is really, really significant. Uh, attention is essential for maintaining our focus, processing, understanding and learning. So by using smartphones, our attention span is getting shorter and shorter. So try turning off all notifications to gain back control of your attention, time and productivity. And this goes for your computer, your phones, everything, your smartwatch, Turn all the notifications off, especially when you want to do some deep work. That is the best advice uh, Mark had for us today. 
Now, although our children are growing up in an online technology-driven world, it doesn't mean we shouldn't introduce this technology to them at a young age. Smartphones are addictive and studies have shown that they increase the likelihood of depression, ADHD, stress, anxiety and suicide. So they can cause negative impacts on our brain development and children need to be interacting in the real world. So try and stick with government guidelines in regards to the amount of time and the age group that they should be on uh, digital devices. Well, that was a heavy one. That's the end of the show. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and it gave you lots of great advice uh, and a little bit of a wake-up call when it comes to uh, the use of technology and that our smartphones really are making us dumb. Uh, but um, thank you so much, Mark Williams, for being on the show. Uh, and thank you to everyone else that's made the show possible. Remember, any important links can be found in the show notes. But until next time, happy parenting and don't forget to tell everyone you heard it on PacMag. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at pacmag.com.au. This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.